Hello, this is Gene Wilhelm, and today we'll be examining the readings for the 13th Sunday in Ordinary Time. That's June 28, 2020. Uh, this set of readings basically is telling us two things, and uh, focused on the gospel. And the one of those is that we have to look at getting everything out of the way that keeps us from our call. And our basic call is to be followers of Jesus Christ. And inside that call is our call to be a disciple through our words and through our actions. The second one is uh, the motivations for what we do for God. We say we're doing them for God. If you remember, the uh, Jesus's biggest problem was with the Pharisees who seemed to do everything for show. Uh, there was no nothing in the heart that was changed. Uh, and a, a perfect example of that is the situation in which he told the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. The publican was going into the temple uh, and declaring how wonderful he was to God and, uh, for, and loud enough so that everybody who was in the temple could hear him and what he had to say. Whereas the publican, the tax collector, uh, was in the back where nobody could see him and he was striking his breast and asking God to be merciful to him because he was a sinner. Uh, and the other, other thing that we have is, uh, I'm going to quote from uh, second uh, from Colossians 3, 23 to 24. And this particular passage, Paul is talking about why we work. And this is could be secular work. It could be uh, religious work. And what he says is, whatever your task, work heartily as serving the Lord and not men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving Christ the Lord. So if we go into everything that we do, knowing that we're serving God rather than man, and we're doing it so that God can see it rather than man can see it, we, sh we should have the right attitude and should be able to do what God is calling us to do. And looking at the readings today, I would like to begin with the gospel, because it is probably the most important thing that we have right here. And um, this is a gospel, again, where Jesus is talking about what the requirements are to uh, be his follower. And uh, he he's talking, first of all, in a way that, uh, and this is in that, we're still in Matthew chapter 10, which is a talking about the, uh, the, the mission of the 72 uh, uh, to go out and to preach and to heal and do all the things that he said to do. And this, this particular passage begins with Jesus saying to his apostles, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Okay, so is he telling us not to love? No, because, but he's talking about something uh, a little different. The, the word for love there is that phileo, which is the word for brotherly love. And if you remember in the passage where Jesus is talking to Peter on the seashore after the second mar marvelous catch, on the day, uh, the day after, or day or two after he was uh, risen from the dead, he asked Peter, first of all, he says, Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? And that word for love that Jesus uses there is agape, which is to love unconditionally. And Peter answers him, Lord, you know I love you. I phileo you. I have brotherly love for you. And then Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me? 
Peter answers, and that word that Jesus uses there is agape. And again, Peter responds, I phileo you. And finally, Jesus says, Peter, do you phileo me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I phileo you. And each time that Peter answers, Jesus tells him something about how that he is supposed to shepherd Jesus' sheep. And so uh, Jesus begins with Peter there with, you love me most of anybody in, in an unconditional way. Peter says, well, you're my buddy. And then Jesus says, do you, do you love me? Do, do you love me unconditionally? And Jesus says, Peter says, I'm your buddy. And finally, Jesus says, are you my buddy? And Peter says, you know I'm your buddy. And that's the same word that's used here. And it's not that we're supposed to not love our family, but he's saying, are you more of a buddy? Are you more of a friend to your father or mother than you are to Jesus? Which is, what are the two great commandments? The first one is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So, God puts love of God first, and Jesus preached that when he taught the two great commandments, that love of God comes first, and then love of the human beings that are around you. And then he talks about, he says, not worthy. And, and the word there, the Greek word there is axios, which means deserving. So if you don't love, if you don't, if you're not more, if Jesus isn't your best friend, then you don't deserve to be a friend of Jesus. So it's it's not just that you're supposed to re- reject your parents, it's that you're supposed to have your loves in right order. Love God first, and then love those that are around you. Then he says something that's curious, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. So taking up the cross. So what is Jesus saying here? That it's not gonna be easy, guys, this is not something that, this is not what we would call a walk in the park. There are difficulties here. And I think what you have to look at there also is that uh, Jesus in nine, Luke 9, 23 and 20 to 25 talks about, if anyone wants to be a follower of mine, let him renounce himself and take up his cross every day and follow me. Anyone who wants to save his life will lose it but anyone who loses his life for my sake will save it. What benefit is it to anyone to win the whole world and lose his very self? Now, you can also find uh, the, the scriptures, uh, the same uh, wording elsewhere. You can find it both in Matthew and in Luke. I prefer the one in, uh, in Matthew and Mark. I prefer the one in Luke because it talks about every day. It's not a one-time thing. It's a continual, ongoing thing. Uh, the... Uh, Jesus says another time that, you know, that it's going to be difficult. And he says also in John 12, 25, in the upper room for the night of the Last Supper, it says, anyone who loves his life loses it, and anyone who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So what is that saying? That is saying that we've got other things to do that needs to happen uh, to give ourselves to Jesus totally. It's, it's, and the, lo- the losing of the life here is, is, is different from maybe from what we think about. Uh, the, the word lose there is a Greek word that means to destroy fully. 
And the thing that comes to my mind when we talk about this is that, you know, uh, you've probably seen some movies where the, the uh, army is crossing a bridge to get to face the enemy, and then the commander tells them to blow up the bridge. Or you've heard the expression, burning your bridges behind you. What Jesus is really saying here, I think, is that when we make this decision to follow him, that there is no turning back. Or we can put it another way, that when you make that, when you truly repent, when you truly change the direction of your life to follow Jesus, then you need to burn the bridges behind you, those things that lead you back to sin, so that you don't return to the life of sin. And that's very important, and we need to understand that, because that's something that will help us in all phases of our life. You know, there's also the uh, expression, and I forgot to write down the, the uh, reference to it here, but he says, once someone puts his hand to the plow, he's not supposed to turn back and look what's behind him. You're supposed to be looking ahead. And that's, that is what Jesus says that we need to be doing. And we can't follow him if we drag around all the baggage from our past life. We need to get rid of all those things. We need to have we need not to be the people in the wilderness who keep crying back to go back to, to Egypt so that they can have their flesh pots and their leeks and their garlic and all the vegetables that they were accustomed to there in, in Egypt. They want to go back to that land of slavery, to the land of sin, rather than face going forward to where God is leading them. And, and that's, that's a call that's on a disciple's life. Uh, I think that we need to, to understand that uh, if we want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Then he changes, takes a little bit different turn, and he says, whoever receives me, re- pardon me, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Uh, I'm, I'm going to take a look at uh, Mark 9.41, and in the uh, Catholic edition of the RSV, It says, for truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose his reward. He goes on here and talks about giving giving a cup of water. We are called upon to act as Jesus' ambassadors. You know, in John 15, um, he said, 16, he says, you did not choose me, no, I chose you, and I commissioned you, I ordained you, to go out and to bear fruit. He is calling, and the word apostle, he means one who's sent. It's like an ambassador. So what what Jesus is saying here is that we go in the name, if we go in the name of Jesus rather than in the name of whoever you are, if I go in the name of Jesus rather than the name of Gene Wilhelm for what I'm doing, then when people do something for me, they're doing it for Jesus. Uh, Mother Teresa put it fairly simple and somewhat she was doing in that uh, she said, I see in every human being, or I'm sorry, I see Jesus in every human being. I say to myself, this is hungry Jesus. I must feed him. This is sick Jesus. This one has leprosy or gangrene. I must wash him and tend him. I serve because I love Jesus. If you're doing what we're doing for the love of Jesus, then what we receive in return is not of any consequence to us. But he says, 
we'll, and we'll look, we'll see more about this, what it says next, whoever receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever receives a righteous man because he's a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. What Jesus is saying, when someone comes to minister to us, do we, men, do we receive them as coming to us, as Jesus coming to us and ministering to us? Or do we get all caught up in the fact that we have a, a prophet coming to us or a healer coming to us? Or are we caught up in the personality of the individual who's doing the ministering? Or are we caught up in the ministry of Jesus? And are we rejoicing and praising God for what this particular person is doing in the name of Jesus? And we'll see more of that in the first reading. When we look at the first reading, we'll see that the, that the woman, uh, the Shulamite, uh, gave a place for the prophet to stay because he was a prophet. So well, whose reward do you want? If, if, do you, if I come and minister to you and uh, you, you receive me because of who I am as a person or what I am, rather than as a minister of Jesus Christ, do what reward can I give you? If you're like Paul and a lot of the prophets of the Old Testament, they had nothing to give except what God had given them. And so, but Jesus is talking about that, that you know, he, he, in, in Matthew 25, he, he has this story about the, peop, the sheep and the goats. And to the sheep, he says, you know, come to you, my, the, to the kingdom prepared for you from the beginning of time. And he said, I was hungry and you fed me, etc., etc., etc. And they said, when did we do these things? And what Jesus said to them is, whenever you do this to the least of my, did this to the least of my brothers or my, my people, you did it to me. So if you're doing it for Jesus, rather than the individual, even those of you who are ministering to people, are you doing it to be ministering to the people or are you ministering to the people because you're, Jesus has told you to and you're doing it for Jesus? It's a big difference. Do you want a temporal reward? Do you want the recognition like the Pharisees? Or do you want the eternal reward that Jesus is offering us when we minister in one way or another? And ministry can take all forms. It can be what I'm doing here today. It can be what you do talking to a neighbor who's having a hard time. It can be saying hello to somebody in the supermarket that you don't know, or even just giving a smile to somebody that looks as though they're down a little bit. So what are you doing and why are you doing it? And it's, it's, it's something that we really need to look at. Uh, what what are you do why are you doing it so jesus is telling us that we, we if you if we do it because it's a disciple if a disciple is someone who's a student of jesus a, a follower of jesus if we're doing it because of who they follow rather than what they're doing then we are doing okay and i think that's very important that we understand that let's take a look at the first reading now, the first reading has a lot in it, and, there, you, um, and this is with Elisha. And what we, what we can look at is that uh, it says, On one day, Elisha came to Shunem, and, uh, where there was a woman of influence who urged him to stay with her. Okay, now this is a woman of means that is asking 
Elisha, who is Elijah's disciple, remember Elijah is is the prophet that everybody talks about in the New Testament that Elijah needs to come before the Messiah can come. Now, Elisha is the person that followed Elijah. Elisha uh, was had a ministry of his own, very different, similar in a lot of ways, but very different in a lot of ways from Elijah's. And if you remember correctly, when Elisha was called, uh, what Elijah did is threw his cape over him, and Elijah said, or Elisha said, let me go say goodbye to my family before I follow him. And Elijah said, what have I done to you? And, but Elisha left everything behind. Uh, uh, he, he, he slaughtered the oxen with which he was plowing. He uh, chopped up the wooden plow and made a, a fire out of it and boiled the, uh, cooked the oxen as a sacrifice. And then he went and followed Elijah. Uh, so why, what was her and and after, uh, what was her motivation? Maybe she was wanting the blessing that she thought would come if she had a uh, a prophet staying with her, and but she did it probably because he was a prophet rather than for God. Now, this is there's an example from Elijah uh, in First uh, Kings, and I f- failed to write down this reference also, so you'll have to look for it yourself. And we've had it in in the uh, here it is, 1 Kings 17, 7 to 15. Uh, I did write down the reference. This is the wet widow at Zarephath. If you remember correctly, Elijah came along, and this woman was collecting wood uh, to build a, a fire so that she could bake bread with the last of the flour that she had. And Elijah told her to bake him uh, a little cake first and then something for herself. And she did that. And as a result, God blessed her and gave her flour and oil so that she and her son would not starve to death during the famine. And Elijah stayed with her for a while. And here, Elijah's doing the same thing. So afterward, whenever he passed, he used to stop there to dine. So he'd come to dinner there whenever he was in town uh, and visit with this woman and her husband. So she said to her husband, I know that Elisha is a holy man of God. Since he visits its office Often, let's arrange a little room on the roof and furnish it for him with a bed and a chair and a lamp, and so that when he comes, he can stay there. So she was doing something for the prophet. She was probably doing it for the prophet, not realizing she was doing it for God. But this is that thing uh, that we heard in the gospel. Why are you doing it? Are you doing it because the person's a prophet? Or are you doing it because the person is sent by God? And the, the, the motivation here uh, may be one or the other. It appears to me that it was more motivated by having a prophet stay with her. Then uh, it says that Elisha would do that. It, 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 every, he stayed there every, in the room overnight uh, when he was in the area. But it says later, it says, what can I do for her? What can I do to repay this woman for her hospitality? And Elisha's servant, Gehazi, said she doesn't have a son. And she's getting up in years. So we've got, but, and then she, Elisha calls her and tells her that she would have a son the following year. We can look at a couple of places where we see this in the Old Testament. The first one, probably the most famous one that we think can think of, is where Sarah... Uh, Abraham's son was doing all the cooking, a lot of the cooking in the background 
when the three angels came to visit Abraham and Sarah, and uh, she was in the tent, and they were talking uh, to Abraham, and they said, where's your wife Sarah? Oh, this is, uh, this is Genesis 18, 9 to 15. I may just read this. They said, where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. So she is in the tent, he replied. Then his guest said, I shall come back to you next year, and then your wife Sarah will have a son. And it says, Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well on in years, and Sarah had ceased to have her monthly periods. So Sarah laughed to herself, thinking, Now that I am past the age of childbearing and my husband is an old man, it's pleasure to come to me my way again. And then God asked why Sarah laughed. But God, God kept that promise. So someone who was barren, Initially, we know that, that she was barren rather than Abraham because Abraham was able to have a child by Hagar, the slave girl. God opened that womb of the barren woman. The other example is in 1 Samuel 1, 15 to 20. And you may not remember this at all, but uh, in this particular case, Hannah was the second wife uh, of this man. Uh, and they had gone to a temp- the temple in Shiloh, I believe it was, to offer sacrifice at one of the, the holiday, uh, holy days. And the other woman was able to have children, and, uh, uh, and Hannah was not. And she was praying at the door, and Eli the priest, the one who raised Samuel, uh, saw her and thought she was drunk from drinking too much wine at this, sac- uh, this celebration that they were at. And she said, no, she, she said, no, that's not the case. And she says, uh, no, my Lord, I am a woman in great trouble. I have not been drinking wine or strong drink. I am pouring out my soul before Yahweh. Do not take your servant for a worthless woman. All this time I have been speaking from the depth of my grief and my resentment. Eli then replied, Go in peace and may the God of Israel grant what you ask of him. To which she said, May your servant find favor in your sight. With that the woman went away. She began eating and was no longer dejected. Then they got up in the morning, and after worshiping Yahweh, they, they set out and went home to Ramah. Elkanah lay with his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. Hannah conceived, and in due course gave birth to a son, whom she called Samuel, since she said, I ask Yahweh for him. So Samuel is another situation like Sarah, where the barren womb was open. The other one that you might want to look at uh, is the uh, uh, Mary herself. Mary's womb was barren not because uh, there was anything physically wrong with her. Mary's womb was barren because she and Joseph had chosen and consecrated themselves to live a celibate life. And yet the angel Gabriel comes to her and announces to her that she will bear a son, to which she says, how can that happen? You know, I'm not... I'm not uh, Joseph and I aren't doing the things that are necessary to make a child. And the angel, Archangel Gabriel, tells her that the, the Holy Spirit will overshadow her and the power of the Most High will come upon her and she will conceive a son. And he's to call, she's to call him Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. So, again, that happens. And he says, nothing is impossible for God. So in all three of these cases, we have a miraculous conception and a miraculous birth happening 
two of them foreshadowing the death, the uh, birth of Jesus. And so we, we need to be aware that God can work miracles in our lives too. We can be the Hannah who is, <coughs> pardon me, who is uh, pouring out her heart because God doesn't seem to be answering her prayers. We can do that, and God, we may send somebody to us and say, God is going to answer your prayers. So know that, that God will reward you for what you do. Let's take a look at the, uh, the second reading, and we may have time for just a little bit of discussion of this. This is from Romans 6, verses 3 through 4 and 8 through 11. And it says, Brothers and sisters, are you unaware that you were baptized into Christ Jesus uh, that when you were baptized into Christ Jesus, you were baptized into his death. So baptism is, uh, the word baptismo means to immerse or dunk. So in the, the, the other places where Paul talks about this, he indicates that this baptism is like the traveling through the Red Sea. Do you remember? Red, Egypt stands for slavery to sin, and wilderness is a pathway to go to the promise that God has. And the People went through the Red Sea. They went into where the water was and came out on the other side, free people. And so uh, it's, it's important that we understand that, that God has done things for us in a way that really is, is uh, something that we don't really seem to know, that it's, we have been buried with him in this water of baptism, and then we are raised to life with him just as Jesus was raised to life after he felt he died on the cross. And so if, if, if then you've died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So are you, are you living a life of death or are you living a life of life? Are you living a life of sin or are you living a life of holiness? And it's important that we understand that. Uh, and Jesus in Revelations 1.18 tells us again, I was dead, and look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and of Hades. Hades, again, is the abode of the dead. It's not the hell that we talk about. The hell that we typically talk about is Gehenna. But Jesus says he's got that power, and he wants to give it to us. Uh, and then uh, I would like you also to look at John fourteen thirty which says, I shall not talk to you much longer because the prince of this world is on his way. He has no power over me. The prince of the, this world was the one who motivated all those people that were in, in power to have Jesus put to death. But Jesus conquered death by his resurrection. And it's, it's something that we need to think about and make it part of our lives. You have to leave behind what's dead in your life in order to live the life. Again, it's that leaving behind that we talked about when we spoke in, about the things in the gospel. That's what this is all about. And if you can do that, then maybe you can say with the responsorial psalms response, forever I will sing the goodness of the Lord. And that's something we need to learn how to do, whether it's good times or bad. It's, it's one thing to praise God when things are going well. It's another thing to praise God when things are not going well. I want to thank you all for listening today, and I appreciate your taking a part of this uh, with me, and I shall see you again next week. God bless you.